Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Let's Talk XFL, the only podcast solely focused on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host Michael Lathrop. Hello football fans. This is episode 23, New Identity, Legal Action, Potential Cities and Coaches. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Royal Retros by 503 Sports. Royal Retros are the king of throwbacks. Royal Retros by 503 Sports provides a line of merchandise from legendary defunct leagues such as the XFL 1.0. If you've always wanted to get yourself a quality Las Vegas Outlaws He Hate Me or Los Angeles Extreme Tommy Maddox jersey, perhaps even an OG XFL's team's t-shirt, we have you covered. Simply click on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code Let's Talk XFL at checkout to receive 10% off your purchase. We have a fantastic show for you today. The drought is finally over. There are plenty of developments to cover. In addition, later in the show, I will be joined by Mike Mitchell to discuss his recent article, XFL 2023, Pitfalls of Abandoning What Made the 2020 League Great. But first, there is news to address. So let's get to it. On April 3rd, XFL co-owner Danny Garcia made a post on her social media accounts. Her post said, and I quote, From all angles, working on a bold and new vision for tomorrow's league. A new era begins soon, end quote. The post included four photos and in one of them was a strategically placed shaker cup with what appeared to be the left half of an X. Then on April 4th, XFL co-owner Dwayne The Rock Johnson also made a post on his social media accounts. He posted, and I quote, We're building a professional football league of culture, passion, innovation, purpose, and opportunity. Here's a special shaker cup I had made with a little XFL tease. Two halves become one. Stay tuned. Now back to work I go. End quote. Included in his post was an image of him in a weight room holding a shaker cup with only the right half of the X. Pairing his shaker cup with Danny's, it was obvious, was a tie-in to the X references. Then on April 5th, the XFL's website went black with a countdown to Wednesday, April 6th at noon. In addition, each of the league's social media accounts removed the league's profile pictures and cover photos and were replaced with a simple black background. On April 6th, C.J. Cavazos continued his scouting rounds and posted his attendance at the LSU College Pro Day on his Twitter account. Also on April 6th, the XFL made its big announcement. The league unveiled a new, cleaner, and more modern XFL logo, as well as its new vision. The XFL vision consists of the following brand pillars, co-creation, inclusivity, accessibility, and innovation. Per the league's press release, they are defined as follows. Co-creation, build a league of culture, a place where player, fans, partners, employees, and communities interact with each other to build a dynamic future of football. Inclusivity, Embrace being at the intersection of opportunities, connecting players to fans, and changing the way everyone experiences and engages with the game. 
Accessibility. Create a new standard for accessibility by experimenting with different forms of interactivity to connect the fans and players in a say unlike ever done before, creating a deeply immersed and personal fan base. Innovation. Leverage innovation to unlock new opportunities to win together. I'm not going to get into the logo much. If you've not already seen it, the logo is a modern and simple XFL in black and white. The league claims its new visual identity centers around the idea that the XFL is the intersection of opportunity and captures the essence of the league's vision of the XFL pushing football forward. The X represents those intersections, the point at which everything comes together, whether it be sports and storytelling, players and fans, partners, and a passion for innovation. The league also reopened its online shop with apparel offerings of the league's new logo. Interestingly enough, among the apparel brands were 47, New Era, and Under Armour. Seeing that Dwayne The Rock Johnson already has a partnership with Under Armour with his Project Rock collection, and now an offering in the league shop, it appears to be a good possibility that Under Armour could be the XFL's official uniform supplier. Then, on April 7th, journalist Aaron Wilson reported that Terrell Buckley is the new XFL Orlando franchise head coach. Wilson did so by making the following post on his Twitter account, and I quote, Former NFL standout Terrell Buckley, a 13-year veteran, 50 career interceptions, former Mississippi, Mississippi State, and Louisville secondary coach, and Jim Thorpe award winner at FSU, is the new XFL head coach for the Orlando franchise per a league source at PFN365, end quote. Wilson's second post mentioned, and I quote, Terrell Buckley officially signed his contract and is the new head coach of the XFL Orlando franchise per league source, end quote. In addition, National College football reporter Matt Zanit also made a post on his Twitter account, and I quote, Terrell Buckley is expected to be hired as head coach of Orlando XFL team, a source tells at On3Sports. Buckley, a former NFL star defensive back, was most recently a defensive backs coach at Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Louisville, end quote. After retiring from professional football, the 50-year-old began his coaching career with Florida State in 2007 as a safeties assistant and remained with the program until 2011 in an array of coaching positions. Buckley was also a cornerbacks coach at Akron for the 2012 and 13 seasons. As previously mentioned, he also held coaching positions for the following schools, Louisville 2014 and 15 as cornerbacks coach, Mississippi State 2016, 2017, 2018, in 2019 as cornerbacks coach, and Ole Miss in 2020 and 2021 as a cornerbacks coach. Although Buckley does not have head coaching experience, this could be a solid hire for the XFL. The combination of his professional 13 seasons playing career and 14 years of collegiate coaching experience with five different universities provide him with an array of football experience, which can be useful in a league like the XFL. Then, on April 8th, 
National Women's Soccer League, and U.S. Soccer Women's National Team star Megan Rapino posted a tweet directed towards co-owner Dwayne The Rock Johnson and the XFL. The tweet said, and I quote, Well, this is awkward. The only thing The Rock and the XFL are going to be cooking up is a response to a cease and desist and an entire new brand, ID, together got this unlocked, boys. End quote. The tweet included the XFL's new brand identity and vision announcement. For those who are not aware, Together is a co-founded company by fellow U.S. soccer women's national team star Alex Morgan, Seattle Storm Sue Bird, two-time Olympic gold medalist snowboarder Chloe Kim, and Olympic swimmer Simone Manuel. The brand was created to help young people challenge society's traditional roles for women. Bird also posted a tweet addressed to the XFL and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who said, and I quote, Well, doesn't this looks familiar? End quote. The tweet also included the new split X with the word together in the center. It is obvious the Together brand has taken an issue with the XFL's new logo and the use of the word together. I investigated the XFL's new logo and its trademark status. According to Trademarkia, it was filed on April 4th of this year. However, the new application was updated and filed on April 7th. To be clear, the XFL does not own the rights to its new logo or slogans at this moment. I am not saying the XFL is screwed, but I am not certain how this could play out for them. I must say, and I am confused as to why the XFL not only changed its image and branding, more so that they did so without securing the rights to it. It just seems like a short-sighted process and execution. Also, on April 8th, Mike Condoutis, of the law firm of Michael E. Condoutis, an intellectual property law firm, revealed on Twitter that the XFL will be entering the metaverse. The league filed a new NFT metaverse trademark application on April 4th of this year. The application includes plans for NFTs and NFT marketplaces, providing metaverse experiences, virtual goods, and multimedia for the use in the metaverse. I'm not surprised the XFL's efforts and intention of entering the metaverse. Other professional alternative football leagues have already done so, as well as other professional sports leagues and teams around the world. The metaverse is the future and becoming the new norm. Also on April 8th, CJ Cavazos made a post on his Twitter account in response to the direct messages he has been receiving. The post said, and I quote, To everyone asking, yes, there will be XFL showcases. Follow our pages for more information. I can't respond to every DM. Good luck and keep working. End quote. This is fantastic news. I would anticipate these showcases being scheduled closer to the draft. Doing so will allow for more time to establish coaching staffs in order to appropriately evaluate players. Also on April 8th, media and commerce firm together issued a cease and desist letter to the XFL over trademark concerns. What had started with a warning tweet from Megan Rapino the day before became a legal request. The league's new logo and secondary logo of a similar designed X together released a statement and I quote, Together and its co-founders have worked tremendously hard to build a platform that uplifts women in sports and culture. We were disheartened to see the announcement of the XFL's new branding and logo. 
which has striking similarities to our own. It's our mission to weave representation and equality into all that we do, which is why we have issued a legal notice to the XFL highlighting our concerns. We will continue to protect the important work we are doing. End quote. Although neither Together nor the XFL have had their trademarks approved. However, Together had the head start with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office when they filed an initial trademark application in April of 2021 and received an initial response in December of that year. Whereas the XFL filed theirs on April 4th of this year and have yet to receive a response from the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. According to sneaker law firm founder Sakari Kurtz, this puts together in the driver's seat, and I quote, that gives them priority. Now the question is, how ugly and messy will this get? End quote. The glaring issue is not only the use of a similar logo, but the fact that both entities operate within sports-related markets. Kurtz further added, and I quote, that's a good signal that they are similar. The fact that they are in the same classes doesn't bode well for the XFL. End quote. Although I studied business law and sports law in college, I am not an expert on the law. That said, I do know this to be a fact. This legal matter is going to cost the XFL more financial resources than they had initially planned. Sadly, this ordeal could have been completely avoided, but here we are. It is highly unlikely there will be a resolution anytime soon, and when it does, could we be looking at keeping the XFL's 2.0 logo, or will the league attempt to unveil another rebranding just before the 2023 kickoff? Then on April 9th, the XFL scouting rounds continue with C.J. Cavazos and David Dykeman attending the American National Combines in Atlanta, Georgia. The XFL has had success finding talent at the American National Combines in the past. The league unearthed 168 players for the 2020 season and 58 players for the 2001 season. To name a few, quarterback Taylor Cornelius of the Tampa Bay Vipers, running back Larry Rose of the Los Angeles Wildcats, and wide receiver Colby Pearson of the New York Guardians. I believe it is wise to continue scouting this event. As I have mentioned, it has paid off in previous iterations, and I would expect it to do so again this time around. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by Mike Mitchell to discuss his article, XFL 2023, The Pitfalls of Abandoning What Made the 2020 League Great. Mike would not say so himself, but he is a bit of an XFL insider. Over the years, he has established relationships with agents, coaches, league executives, and players. Today, we are fortunate to have the opportunity to tap into those relationships and learn what could be on the horizon for the XFL in 2023. Welcome, Mike. I appreciate you taking the time to join the show to discuss your article titled XFL 2023, The Pitfalls of Abandoning What Made the 2020 League Great. Well, thank you very much, Michael, for having me on. And I know that's a very long title. My editor probably wasn't too happy about that, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of traction on the article last couple of days. And I think that's because so many XFL fans like yourself and I, and the many that are out there are so anxious for some big news to come on the horizon. We got a little bit, although not as much as everybody would have liked, but we're getting there. 
Yeah, we're hungry. Yeah, we're definitely hungry. And uh, and I'm so anxious. You know, I, I cover uh, the New York Jets and I'm looking forward to the draft and I cover the CFL with the Toronto Argonauts at CFLnewshub.com and, and the USFL that's upcoming. But I'm so anxious to talk about the XFL. There's a different level of excitement for me when it comes to that, because you and I, uh, full disclosure, go way back to 2001 with the original XFL. So uh, this makes this journey quite an interesting one. It's over two decades now. Absolutely. Can you take a moment to provide some of your backstory for our listeners? Sure. I covered the original XFL, as I mentioned, back in 2001. I was just a fan who was on a message board. Back then, there was no internet, no uh, no Twitters, any of this kind of stuff. So I actually saw that there was a website that was going to cover the XFL. I took an interest in it. I applied for a writer role. And because I live in the Northeast, I was able to uh, write articles and cover the New York, New Jersey hitmen at the time. And I was able to go to games as a press member. And it was a great experience and I enjoyed it. I'm a huge football fan, huge NFL and college guy. I started getting into these leagues at a very young age, six and seven years old. I followed the original USFL, obviously the XFL and all the other leagues in between the NFL Europe's World League of American Football, the United Football League, the AAF and the modern day XFL. So I've been a huge fan of the, the draft process and college players and fringe players in the NFL and college players that don't get an opportunity to extend their pro careers. And it's something that I've had a fascination with since I was obsessed with the NFL draft. And so these types of leagues are a passion of mine and I'm happy to see that they're in existence and they haven't worked to this point, but I'm glad that people keep stepping up to the plate and trying. And I think it's pretty awesome that uh, at this point, you know, we got the XFL with heavyweights like Danny Garcia and Dwayne Johnson and Redbird Capital Partners, as well as on the flip side of the coin, Eric Shanks and Fox Sports with the USFL. Their experience with the XFL is why they're starting their own pro league which is starting up soon here. So I, I think it's an awesome time if you're a fan of, I guess, if you want to label it alt league or alternative pro football leagues, if you're a fan of that, um, I think it's an awesome time and we'll see how it goes. It should be fascinating to follow and see how things uh, transpire. Fantastic. As you are aware, the XFL fan base has been clamoring for cities and team names so much that they expected more than what the league delivered on Wednesday during its logo and vision unveiling. Little do they know that you would be the one to cast light from the shadows later in the day when you reported the XFL will be moving away from three of its 2020 markets and adding new cities in 2023. Can you elaborate on that for our listeners? Sure, absolutely. You know, the term shadows is fitting because I'm used to operating in the shadows. And oftentimes I get a lot of information, a lot of rumors, a lot of talk from people, coaches, players, executives, people that are close to the league and people who were part of the previous league. And so a lot of times you have to uh, you siphon through all this information. And when you start hearing particular things over and over and over, and that's when you get to the point where, wow, this is very close to being a reality. So over the last few, several weeks, I've heard uh, rumors of coaches that have been negotiations with the league, as well as some of the plans that the league's going to be having. Now, none of this has been confirmed by the league itself, although I've reached out. No one has responded you know, or confirmed any of this. And things are still fluid. They're a work in progress. And so until everything is finalized, we won't know for sure. And I've made sure to uh, at XFLNewsHub.com to state that in my article. 
that this hasn't been confirmed yet. But as it turned out rather quickly, we found out after the article was released that Terrell Buckley was, in fact, hired as one of the coaches in the XFL. He's going to be with Orlando. And it looks like, you know, for a long time, I've written about this subject, about changes around the margins and that there would be changes with the XFL. And I wrote an article back in November 2021 that talked about the XFL working with the NFL and talked about new cities and all that. And even Dwayne The Rock Johnson went on CNBC at the end of 2021 and said that there would be new cities in the XFL. So, you know, it's still a developing thing, but. You know, and I know that XFL fans out there have been waiting so long for information. They've been in the dark for quite some time. So it's been a prolonged darkness. I mean, the new ownership group bought this league in the summer of 2020, bought it out of bankruptcy, that is. And we're sitting here approaching, uh, you know, the spring, obviously, of 2022. And it's going to be three years since they took the field, presumably when they take the field in February of 2023. So the exciting stuff is on the horizon for the XFL fans that are disappointed that they all they got was a new logo. We're going to be getting a lot of news, a crescendo of announcements coming up and it's go time. It's almost like a restart with their new branding and new logo. And, you know, change is inevitable. It can be a little scary. It's hard to live up to the last league, the league in 2020 for those, the uninitiated was an excellent league was innovative, was fun, had excellent atmosphere, transparency, social media, there were so many great aspects of the league in 2020 for, for those who didn't follow it. And living up to that is not going to be easy for the new group. That's not to say they can't do a better job. They certainly have uh, heavyweights with Redbird Capital and with Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia. But the league's going to be different. You know, whether that's for the better, that remains to be seen. Proof's in the pudding. But they have an opportunity with Redbird's background, with Dwayne Johnson's. He's a force of nature. You know, he he's he pushes everything out there. He's relentless. He has infectious energy. Danny Garcia is a tremendous business person in both the entertainment field and sports and all that. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they have planned. It's going to be exciting. And so as far as some of the news that's out there right now, you know, the big things for XFL fans is, you know, the change, the scary element of it is we might lose some of the franchises that, you know, that we embraced in 2020. Whether you were a Tampa fan, a Wildcats fan with Josh Johnson, Winston Moss and all that, or whether you were like myself who covered the New York Guardians, you know, it's tough from what I've heard to this point. And trust me, I would like for this to not be the case. And I might even question it. Um, what I've heard to this point is possibility that New York could be out of the 2023 version of the XFL. And that would be, as far as I'm concerned, would be unfortunate. Because um, not only from a TV aspect, because you'd like to have a New York team in terms of your TV deal, market share, all that. But because I think it's an uh, the Guardians were an awesome brand. And I know a lot of people are very hard on the Guardians because they felt the attendance wasn't great. But the attendance actually wasn't bad for the Guardians, considering the weather and all that, because it was pretty damn cold in that stadium. But the energy of the crowd was amazing. The Guardians fans were electric. And it's just on TV and you could hear it on TV, how loud they were, but on TV, the visual of three quarters of a stadium empty was, didn't look great, unfortunately. And so, you know, so that I can see why some people are negative towards New York, but I thought, I thought I was very impressed. You know, a lot of times with these kind of leagues, the alternative leagues, what you do is you have an audience of fans that are just casually coming to see what it's about. And they're not really into it one way or the other. Some fans are, some aren't. 
But at XFL games, so anybody who's ever been to an XFL game, especially from the 2020 version, the fans were great. The fans were really into the league. In DC, they were really into the league. Obviously, Beer Snake and everything else, chanting MVP at Oliver Luck. They were so wrapped up in the league. And then, of course, Seattle, the, their crowds were awesome. And St. Louis goes without saying how tremendous they were. But the Guardians, too, they had a, an electric fan base and the fans loved it and they loved the brand. It was very cool. So, you know, there are some elements that we're going to have to get used to as XFL supporters, you know, so there's some changes. So we'll see what happens eventually. I would love for my sources to be incorrect and for maybe the XFL to have an about face and say, you know what, the Guardians are in. But if it's the Las Vegas Guardians, I'm going to have a hard time accepting it. So we'll see how that goes. That's the fascinating element to this. We know now from reports, San Antonio's in, Orlando's in. We haven't heard Las Vegas, although kind of exclusive. One of the names I've heard, one of the coaches that I've heard is a possibility for Las Vegas is Rod Woodson, who's a tremendous player. And he's dabbled into the coaching field lately. And you can see where the XFL, I wrote about this um, in my coach's article a few months back, the XFL is leaning towards a little bit outside the box thinking, think Deion Sanders at Jackson State, the type of impact he's had. When you heard the details of the NFL's collaboration with the XFL, one of the details in there was that the XFL would be a breeding ground for coaches, giving coaches opportunities. So the NFL would love to have their alumni and their players get their feet wet, so to speak, in another league. And they would love to create an avenue for former players who are recently turned uh, coaches to become head coaches and get that opportunity. So you can see that already with Reggie Barlow's had success at Virginia State. Terrell Buckley, who's been an assistant coach in college football, but hasn't been a head man. So that's a big jump for him. But then, you know, some of the other names that I've heard, not locked in yet, but Rod Woodson, Heinz Ward, Anthony Becht, uh, these are all former NFL players, successful runs, who've all done coaching, who've all been coaches, but quite a jump to go up to that CEO level where you're running a team. But as Deion Sanders proved, that CEO type head coach can work. It depends on who your staff members are, who you have supporting you. So that support staff is very important for Deion Sanders. Has a lot of experience on his staff that helps him, but it's fascinating stuff, you know, until it's a hundred percent out there and released. We won't know for sure, but, you know, the first few hints have been accurate so far in terms of Reggie Barlow and Terrell Buckley and kind of the vision that they have. And now we know that Orlando and San Antonio are part of the mix. In a perfect world, the XFL would be adding two teams rather than subtracting. But when it comes to finances, it's a lot more difficult to come out the gate with 10 or 12 teams than it is eight. So and a lot of the decisions Redbird makes are going to be financially driven and as just like the USFL as they're running a hub in Birmingham because they're trying to save money and cut corners and make sure that they don't, you know, fall by the wayside and head into the grave like other spring leagues have in the past because they started bleeding money immediately and then drowned in it. So I'm surprised that Houston or Washington, D.C. were not among those markets mentioned. Houston, for obvious reasons, with the potential of head-to-head competition with the Houston Gamblers of the USFL. Regarding Washington, D.C., there is an issue with a trademark extension, which is not expected to be resolved before late September. Seeing there's significant potential of the XFL abandoning Los Angeles, New York, and Tampa Bay, which is the number one, number two, and 11th largest television markets, respectively. 
and they're potentially being replaced with Orlando, San Antonio, and Las Vegas, which are 18, 31st, and 40th largest television markets, respectively. Is this a cause for concern in acquiring decent broadcasting partners and an agreement that would be favorable for a revenue stream? It's an excellent point. I mean, when you look at the XFL in 2020, the highest rated game they had their entire season was not the opening game with DC, which did very well, 3.3 million viewers. It was the New York Tampa game on Sunday afternoon on Fox, which did 3.4 million viewers. That was the highest rated XFL game during the short five week. uh... I apologize for the technical difficulties. Excellent TV markets. And that's a big reason Vince McMahon chose those specific markets for a reason. He knew that in order to sell it to Fox and ABC and ESPN, that having New York and LA and Tampa, you look at all the big markets they had, the Texas markets and all that. San Antonio makes complete sense to me when you think about it. If you look at the last two spring leagues, what were the two most successful franchises? They were St. Louis in the XFL, drew the most fans had the most eyeballs on the product and San Antonio and the AAF, which I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think they average close to 30,000 fans per game, maybe in that 26, 27 range, which is awesome. They had awesome crowds too. It wasn't the case for all of the AAF teams because teams like Arizona would only draw like 8,000 fans. Salt Lake had like 9,000. So Birmingham had their struggles because of bad weather and other factors. San Antonio and St. Louis make complete sense. You, you know, I think that's great for the XFL. Orlando and Las Vegas, although those are original XFL teams, and Orlando was a very good team in the original XFL. And uh, Las Vegas Outlaws had an awesome brand. Everybody knows he hate me, but they had a cool name, cool logo, cool uniforms, all that. Cool. It was a cool franchise. But it's a little bit of a question of heading into those markets. And it's also a bigger question. One of the issues that I raised in my article, and I'm hoping this isn't the case, but this is what I'm hearing. You know, this could be for financial reasons. If you're going into a hub in Arlington, then why change the names of your teams? Okay, if you have a San Antonio team in Texas, maybe that means something. But if you have a Las Vegas team playing in a hub, in Dallas during the 2023 season, why get rid of New York or LA or, or any of that stuff? Unless you're in those specific markets, you're not going to capitalize fully on the value of them. Now, if by chance Redbird Capital Partners has made deals with venues in Orlando or in Las Vegas that are favorable to the XFL, because that's one of the things that's a factor with this, oftentimes with these upstart leagues, These venues hold them hostage. They demand more money up front because they don't trust that these leagues will exist or survive. And they'll ask for more of the gate, more of this, more of that. And so they'll hold the leagues hostage and it won't be a favorable venue deal. So it's possible. I haven't heard this specifically, but it's just me guessing on from one from the names I'm hearing. It's possible that if Orlando and Las Vegas, we've heard Orlando's name already in the ether and Wilson, other people, myself reported Orlando being part of the league. And now Terrell Buckley's expected to head the Orlando franchise. Um, if Orlando and Vegas are part of the league, I would assume and if the XFL is going into markets again, I would assume that they have favorable deals with a venue in Orlando uh, or Vegas. That remains to be seen where that is, by the way. I can't envision an XFL team playing where the Raiders play, which is a beautiful stadium, but you never know. 
So, I mean, we'll find that all out. It's going to be fascinating to see what this league does. Let's face it. Also, XFL fans don't like to hear this, but Redbird Capital Partners, uh, Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, they've hit some snags along the way on their road uh, to getting back to the field. Initially, uh, we all understood the reasoning behind uh, not coming back so quickly in 2021 because of the pandemic. They could have, in theory, gone into a hub situation then. But then there was the CFL alignment talks, which that kind of sidetracked things. And there was a lot of talks and they came pretty close to getting married, but the CFL side didn't want to do everything the XFL wanted to. So here we are now in 2022, getting ready for a 2023 season. If the league ends up in a hub, you know, it's something where you have to think it's financially makes a lot of sense. Perhaps they can make it work. They want to survive. They want to exist. But being back in a hub after three years of being without not playing is it's a little bit of a failure. You know, I'm trying to be as kind as I possibly can be on that, you know, but that's the troubling part of it. And I have heard about a potential hub setting in Texas. It's not a failure if they had done that immediately, or if they had done that even in 2022, but the fact that we've been waiting this long, you know, one of the reasons that this wait occurred was because of the feeling that the XFL would have more time to get past the pandemic. There's fewer restrictions now. A lot of people are vaccinated. We've seen crowds return in sports. So you thought, you know, they're not coming back that quickly because selling tickets at venues is important for the bottom line, right? You want to be able to sell tickets. And because there was a pandemic, I mean, it's crazy to believe, but we went through an entire NFL season in 2020 where no fans were in the stands. We had networks piping in crowd noise. So to, you know, create the illusion of an atmosphere there where there was not a single fan in attendance. So we actually watched NFL games in that setting. The NFL and leagues like the NBA, they have a nest egg where they can survive no fans. If you're an upstart league, you can't survive no fans. So if they're not in markets, that that would be a shame. It could be the reality of finances and not being able to make it work immediately. Perhaps you have deals with five venues and you can't get it all done in time, eight of them. But um You know, that's part of the perils of trying to run an upstart football league. It's not that easy to get everything lined up, the infrastructure, all that. It does take time. It does take money. It does take a lot of agreements. That's why the XFL in 2020 was so impressive what they did, because, you know, they had a nice two-year runway to do it, and they put great people in position, and they made it work. A little bit different situation now because we're coming off a pandemic, but there are some XFL fans are going to be a little bit disappointed if they're not in markets. We'll see how it goes. I'm hoping that they are. I'm hoping that they go full bore into these markets, sell tickets. I want to see the dome in St. Louis packed and everybody excited and going crazy. That's one of the great elements of the XFL in 2020 is the atmosphere. They had the fans that they had in attendance. That's what made the league so cool. DC games were fun to watch, not just because for the players on the field, but how crazy their fans were. So um, with the beer snake, it gave off such a great impression on television. When you turn on an XFL game, and you saw they said, wow, these people are having fun. So we'll see how it goes. But I know that's a very long answer, but it's a complicated issue. That's kind of where things stand right now with this aspect. Since you mentioned the possibility of the XFL playing in a hub in 2023, how likely is it to happen? One, two. And does it have anything to do with XFL 2.0's abrupt shutdown and failure to fulfill contractual obligations with the venues? 
Ooh, the latter there is a possibility. I don't know that to be a fact, but that's a very good point. The first end of it, that's difficult to say. I don't. 50-50? Yeah, maybe 50-50. You know, I'd really be guessing on this one because I know it's in consideration. I know that it's something that's been mentioned to me as a possibility of the league having a hub in Dallas and in Arlington. What I would prefer is maybe if you're going to do that, if you set up league headquarters in Dallas, in Texas, have your entire training camp there. You can cut costs that way. And then when the season starts, it's almost, you know, the original, the XFL in 2020 had a centralized training camp in Texas. And Texas is such a great place to have training camp because there's so many facilities and high school programs, the equivalent of college programs, et cetera, college programs that can be measured up in Texas. Football is huge. It can be measured up to NFL standards. So that was a smart play on XFL 2020's part. And perhaps Redbird Capital Partners is considering it. I I know that they're considering it. I don't know if for sure if they're going to do it. I think it's going to be a disappointment if they do a hub. So 50-50 on that, whether or not the issues with the venues that they previously had are in play here, that's possible too. It's not easy to, to line up everything. Now, the only thing that gives me some, even though this hasn't been confirmed to me, that gives me some level of hope that they could be in markets is the announcement of new cities. Because like I said earlier in this conversation, why would you announce that you're going to be in San Antonio, Las Vegas, and Orlando? Why would you name teams after that if you're playing in Texas? I understand the USFL is going through that right now. They got teams from Michigan and, and Philly playing in Birmingham. And that's cool. You're going to draw in some of those fans over there, but it doesn't mean the same. You know, if you're in Philly or Michigan, you would love to have, embrace your own team in your own market. You know, announcing an Orlando team and a Vegas team. Now, perhaps that's also part of their new rebranding. We're going to see that the interesting part of the rebranding is how different are all these XFL teams going to look. Not only do we know they're going to have new cities, but by looking at the trademark, And by the black and white theme, we're going to have new looks to these uniforms. And maybe Under Armour will be involved. So we'll see. That could be cool. Right. I'm glad that you kind of mentioned those trademarks. Are you hearing any details pertaining to Orlando, San Antonio, and Las Vegas, such as whether it's going to be the Renegades or Roughnecks making the shift to a San Antonio team, the Vipers, or potentially a revival of the outlaws or rage as the names with Orlando or Las Vegas. Are you hearing anything? It's funny. You mentioned that earlier today, I spoke with someone who's a former coach in the last iteration of the XFL, who's been trying to see if if he can angle for a job in the new XFL. And, and I asked him specifically if he knew any information about that. And he's heard about some of the things I've heard of Arlington and, you know, the Orlando and Buckley and all these other coaches. And so I asked them specifically about that, but a lot of the sources don't know right now. And the sources that are inside the XFL, they're very tight-lipped about it. And right now, there's a lot of games that are going on in the trademark world in terms of how you can hide trademarks and all that. We do know right now the XFL's new brand, the company RGA did the design for their brand, and it just got trademarked on April 4th, both their X and the XFL, the new XFL logo. So who's to say RGA is not working? on those new trademarks, new team uh, looks and all that. And then at the last second, spring them on. I don't know that that's something I'm trying to find out as, as I'm speaking to you right now, I'm trying to find out whether or not it's going to be the Orlando Vipers or the Las Vegas guardians or whatever. I would figure the best move, if you're going to introduce a San Antonio team, an Orlando team, Las Vegas, they should have their own identities and not 
take on the identities of previous teams. I mean, that would be my call anyway. That's happened before in other football leagues where, especially in the old USFL, where teams would move every five, the breakers were in like five different markets, Boston, Portland, New Orleans. You would hope that if they are introducing new teams that for year one of the new XFL, that they would have their own identities. That would be the best way to go. And it's going to be fascinating to see what the uniforms look like. For better or for worse, some people like the XFL uniforms, some didn't. You know, some people made fun of the XFL. And anytime a new uniform comes out that people don't like, they'll say that it looks like an XFL uniform. I've seen that comment. Maybe these XFL uniforms will be more universally. I had no issues with the XFL uniforms, but maybe these will be more universally accepted if they're designed by Under Armour and what have you. Um, maybe they'll be cool looking. So we'll see how that goes. Right now, to answer your original question, Michael, I wish I knew. I don't know for sure what San Antonio is going to be called. I don't right at the moment. I don't know. Um, I don't know what Orlando is going to be called. I presumably if Las Vegas is part of the league, which is what I've heard, I don't know what they're going to be called. So you would figure maybe you'd bring back the outlaws name, but it sounds like with the new leadership that they want to do things their own way. You know, they don't want to borrow from the past, so to speak. You also wrote about Reggie Barlow's hiring and the potential candidates to fill the remaining head coaching general manager positions. How much of a shakeup should we expect? It's fascinating the, the, the types of coaches the XFL is looking to hire. And you can see already with the two that have been reported out there, Reggie Barlow and Terrell Buckley, that the XFL's group of coaches are going to have a little bit different flavor than we're accustomed to in startup football leagues. Oftentimes, startup leagues will hire coaches that are kind of legacy coaches, guys that have been around the block. You guys are in a 60s, 70s, sometimes people coming out of retirement that haven't been in the NFL in a few years or what have you. And you see that in the USFL currently with the Jeff Fishers and the Todd Haley's and what have you. And you saw that in the AF with the Mike Martz and the Steve Spurriers and all that. And it seems like, at least at this point, although I'm hearing some veteran names like Bob Stoops and uh, Wade Phillips and Mark Tressman, it seems like the XFL is going to be leaning more towards, you know, the league's going to be about giving opportunities to people who are overlooked. So, and that's part of the, the tagline, the messaging that's behind the XFL's rebranding is about giving people opportunities that otherwise don't get it. And, you know, cool to see like a Reggie Barlow get a chance, a Terrell Buckley get a chance. I think people, you know, we're used to the NBA having former players take over teams. We're not used to quite the NFL or pro leagues have, say, a Rod Woodson or a Heinz Ward. And Heinz Ward's coached. He's coached with the Jets and he's coached in other places. And these other well, coaches have been assistants and what have you. But it's kind of cool to see like a recent player turn head coaches. Maybe it won't work out. Maybe it will. I think staff is a key with any of these coaches. But yeah, those are some of the names I've been hearing. Rod Woodson, Heinz Ward, Anthony Becht, obviously Terrell Buckley, Reggie Barlow, Bob Stoops, Wade Phillips, Mark Tressman, John Kitna is another one. So that I've heard now we know because we saw from the video until they get the pen to paper, nothing is final. But when we saw with Terrell Buckley signing his contract on Twitter, that he's in and Reggie Barlow and had no choice. The XFL would prefer that this information didn't get out early. But in a situation like with Reggie Barlow, Virginia State, he has to tell the university he's leaving. So that information is going to come out, you know, and then people are going to find out, well, he's why is he leaving? Oh, really? He got a job with where? 
So that was kind of the story there. But I think it's going to be, you know, those are the names that I've heard. Could could there be others? You know, I've written articles about who I would personally prefer to see hired by the XFL. But and there are some ties in the XFL's front office to the Buffalo Bills. With Russ Brandon as the president, Doug Whaley, Jim Manos and others. So we could see maybe some coaches from that pipeline. Uh, David Culley, I was, you know, or somebody like that. I don't know. A lot of people would want Rex Ryan. Um, just for the uh, for the craziness that would be involved there. I just don't know Rex's ego would allow him to coach in the XFL. He considers himself an NFL guy, but it would be fun, wouldn't it? So anyhow, as a Jets fan, I'm, I'm still a fan of Rex, even though things ended on a sour note. I, you know, he got to two AFC championships and in, uh, in a row, and that's not not an easy task. And he beat Tom Brady and Peyton Manning on the road in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, he might have finished under 500, but I would say he, overall he did a pretty good job. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Coaches like that would be fascinating in the XFL, especially with what, you know, the XFL plans to take you behind the scenes. You want coaches that will embrace the camera, will be very talky and will, you know, will will be very charismatic and energetic and entertaining. So it would be nice to see, you know, a lot of times with the old school coaches, you get an older coach. A lot of them, they, they don't want to see any cameras like get out of here. I want to do my job. So it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, with with a younger group of coaches, very innovative aspect of doing that, having that type of makeup. It's going to be fascinating to, to how the XFL rolls out these coaches, how they introduces them, and how they ultimately perform. I'm not surprised with the shift in focus and desire to hire younger up-and-coming head coaches. But with the likes of Wade Phillips, he seems like the complete opposite as compared to the others that you've mentioned. I noticed that you did not mention June Jones as one who could return for a head coach that had success and has been the perfect ambassador for the league. I can't help, but feel as if this would be a missed opportunity for the XFL's return in 2023. What are you hearing as to why Mark Tressman is in consideration and there is a possibility for him to be welcomed back over June Jones? You know, June, in my opinion, but this is not my call. I don't sign the checks, but June Jones should be among the head coaches that are considered to be brought back to the XFL, considering how successful he was. And quite frankly, a lot of the older coaches sometimes will sign on with these types of leagues just to get an extra paycheck. Uh, the end of the twilight of their career, they're just doing it for just having something to do rather than playing golf. And June's the opposite of that. June embraces the process. He em- embraces coaching younger players. He did it in the CFL. He was obviously doing it in the XFL and was successful. So guys like June Jones, Jonathan Hayes, Winston Moss, those would be coaches that I would consider be brought back. And when you ask me what I've heard, June had a desire to be back in the XFL. And his camp was told that he wasn't part of uh, the first wave of their choices. Now, is it possible that they could go to him still and hire him? I suppose so. But if we go by who's on the list currently, or at least rumored, Bob Stoops would presumably be in Dallas. Wade Phillips, because of his ties to Houston, would be most likely in Houston, which would eliminate June. And then San Antonio, it's been reported that it'll be Reggie Barlow. We'll see if that's the case or not. But you would figure June can coach anywhere. So it does he doesn't have to presumably be with Houston. But, you know, if you're going to bring back the Roughnecks and you're not going to have June Jones as a coach, it seems a little strange. I understand the new XFL is going in a different direction. And they don't want to just rehash everything from 2020. 
But uh, you would figure that Jones would be part of the lot. And I don't mean there's no way to disrespect Mark Tressman. He's had success in other leagues, too. He's a very experienced coach. He won championships in the CFL with the Toronto Argonauts. So he's had success. And Tampa was improving towards the tail end before the plug got pulled out on the XFL. So Tressman's a respected guy. But you would figure that people like June Jones, Jonathan Hayes, Winston Moss, three coaches that had a lot of success two years ago. And who are out there. And I know for a fact that June Jones and Winston Morris have interest in being in the XFL. So those are just the nine names that I've heard. Now, is it possible that there are other? Because like I said, you got to put pen to paper. People have to agree at the end of the day. So is it possible that someone else could, someone could turn down? I know for a fact that USFL wanted Bob Stoops, that they talked early on with Wade Phillips. Stoops turned down the USFL. They talked early on with Wade Phillips, but They've decided to go in a different direction, both sides, kind of mutual thing. Wade is a terrific coach, longtime coach, got a, has a long history, obviously makes sense in Houston. His father's Bum Phillips, legendary coach, and he has ties to the Texas area. So I get it. Wade's, if I'm not mistaken, Wade has a winning record in the NFL as a head coach and obviously has a long resume as a defensive coordinator, won a Super Bowl, been to another. You know, the thing is, and you bring it up, you know, it's a definitely a contrast from younger coaches, Michael. But what I think is great about these types of leagues or any league in general is having variety. So I think there should be like if you have all eight novices, I don't want to call these individuals novices, Barlow, what have you. But if you have all eight neophyte coaches, new coaches, new head coaches that have never coached on a pro level before, then you're not going to have a lot of variety in the league. You're going to have a lot of similarities. You're going to have struggles. Um, if you you want one coach who runs a run and shoot, one that's RPO based, one that runs a three, four, one that's blitz heavy, one that plays a lot of coverage, one that plays a lot of cover three. You want different styles in your league. If everybody's playing the same, everybody's coached the same, you don't have that flavor and variety in your league. So it's actually kind of cool, in my opinion, to see an old lion like Wade Phillips go up against a Terrell Buckley or somebody like that and see how they match up strategically against one another. And so it makes for interesting stories, interesting matchups. So I think variety is important. You want to have a nice mix. You want to have experienced guys and new guys in there. If it's just new guys, then it appears that you're some kind of testing ground. You're just testing out coaches rather than trying to put together a collection of the best people for your league. So there's arguments for and against all this stuff. I understand, but I think it's good to have a few veterans, even the younger coaches like the Reggie Barlow's and the Terrell Buckley's. And we'll see about the rest. We'll see if Rod Woodson and Heinz Ward and others join the league, uh, put pen to paper, so to speak. But even those coaches are going to need veterans on their staff. They're going to need veteran offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator or special teams coordinator to make it work. Deion Sanders having a lot of success in Jackson State. He's a tremendous leader, tremendous CEO, but he has veteran coaches on his staff. He has Dennis Thurman, a former NFL defensive coordinator. He's been in the coaching ranks for 30 years. It's important that you have that veteran experience. So it's fascinating, the group of coaches. I like, I lean towards, it's just a personal preference. I lean towards variety, an eclectic mix of coaches. It makes the league more exciting. If everybody's playing the same, uh, it's not fun. You get boring really fast. Yeah, exactly. Earlier today, I noticed you had responded to CJ Cavazos' post on Twitter about the XFL showcases. So I know I'm catching you completely blindsided with this one. Have you heard anything about showcases being scheduled? Sure. I've heard a time frame of the summer. I've heard June. 
Now, uh, specifics in terms of now, here's the best part of the XFL in 2020 was they had summer showcases in each individual market. And that was brilliant because then you can have the coaching staffs there and you can invite 100 players. You do it in the markets to get notoriety that way. Now, I don't know if the XFL is going to be doing. I know it's showcases, plural. So they're going to have more than one. I don't know if they're going to do it in conjunction with the American uh, National Combines, ANC, which is what they did last time where they did the testing. And they that was a smart move. They did 40 times and all that. But the more you have, the merrier. It gives players more of an opportunity. So if you have close to 100 players at each showcase, you have eight teams, you can do 800 players. And that's what the XFL did the last time. They opened up the doors. You want to give as many people as an opportunity to press you and stick out. There are a lot of players that are overlooked or discarded, don't get an opportunity to go to combines or don't even have highly publicized pro days. And I think it's great that this group of the XFL has been on the pro day circuit, has been at the NFL combine, because I know a lot of people focus in on, well, you know, the the draft and seven rounds and the 256 players that are taken every year, but only 1.9% of all college football players make the national football league. Um, These are direct stats from the NCAA. So what you have basically every year, you have thousands of college players that are eligible to turn pro that don't get drafted. About 256 get drafted, maybe 100 or so end up in NFL camps. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of undrafted players that make it and end up being superstars. So that happens. But you're talking about thousands of players every year that don't get in. And there are a lot of people that get lost in a shuffle. Smaller schools, maybe they were injured in college and they didn't get an opportunity in their senior year to showcase themselves and they just fall by the wayside. So that's the fun part. Like I'm envious of CJs and all these guys that are doing scouting that are turning over every rock, trying to find that, you know, that diamond out there, that special player. It's really awesome. So, and then when you get an opportunity to test them, you can find some players running four threes and four fours that other people overlooked, you know, so it's fascinating part of it. So they got to jump on things. And that's been a big part of what this current XFL has been doing. It's not sexy for everybody, but they've compiled a large list. They've been to the East. They've been to every single college all-star game, the senior bowl, East West Shrine bowl headed up by Eric Galco. They're compiling a huge list and database. And it's great that they have Doug Whaley as part of the team because he was part of the XFL two years ago. So they're doing a lot of the same things they did and showcases. I heard June that I've heard plural. Now, whether they just limit it to a few in Texas or something like that, that's possible rather than going to every market. But I mean, we'll see how things turn out with the pandemic. We never know. We're never going to really be in the clear. So who knows? But the cool thing about the summer of 2022 that's approaching is that, you know, there are less restrictions out there. There's more of an opportunity to go to individual markets and to go to different parts of the country and have showcases. And whether the XFL wants to spend the money to do that, that's another story. The more the merrier, the more players they can work out in person and time and all that, that'd be great. And these players, there's so many players out there itching for an opportunity. And the XFL is going to be targeting a lot of players that can cut in NFL camps because you're going to see, you know, uh, NFL rush is going to be pared down from 90 to whatever, including the practice squad by the time the season starts about 70 or so. So you're going to have 20 per team, 20 players per team that are out of work. And I'm not great at math here, but 32 teams, it's a lot of players. So you're definitely going to see 20 per team. So you're definitely going to see a lot of good players that are out there. And it's going to be fascinating to watch. And the showcases for a football nerd like myself love that aspect. And it's going to be great to to watch. This has been some fantastic stuff. It's been a pleasure. And I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. We should do this again sometime. 
Thank you, Michael. Uh, you know, I got to let you get a word in edgewise, but you gave me some tremendous questions. So the, the, and they're multi-layered. There's a lot. It's not a simple yes, no kind of thing. These, these things are multi-layered. I think as things unravel and we start getting more answers in the next few weeks, and we're going to get a lot of announcements in April, May, Dave already, there's no turning back now. There's no turning back. Season starts in February, week after the Super Bowl. There's no turning back. They got no choice but to go. This is it. Put up or shut up time. And it's great that we finally arrived at this point. So we'll see. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of scrutiny involved, whatever decisions they make. Hopefully it's sort of the betterment of the league and its future. But uh, it's fun to, to have arrived at this point. If some of our listeners wanted to follow some of your work, where could they do so? Oh, wow. Okay. Laundry list here. Um, I uh, contribute for fansided for the jetpress.com. I cover the New York Jets and the NFL there. I write for cflnewshub.com. I cover the Toronto Argonauts. I'm covering the New Jersey Generals for usflnewshub.com. And as always, I cover the XFL for xflnewshub.com. You can reach me on Twitter at by Mike Mitchell. That's B-Y-M-I-K-E-M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L. Perfect. Well, till next time, cheers. Thanks, Michael. I would like to take a moment to share the show has created a Twitter community called XFL Only. I invite each of you to join us in building the largest and most interactive XFL community on the Twitter platform. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Let's Talk XFL. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform of choice. One last thing. If you're interested in checking out our friends over at Royal Retros by 503 Sports, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes as well as that sweet code, Let's Talk XFL, or 10% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Talk XFL on your platform of choice. Follow Let's Talk XFL on Facebook and Twitter at Let's Talk XFL. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to letstalkxfl at gmail.com.